Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicles Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Moira O'Neill and joining me in the studio today are my colleagues, Deputy Personal Finance Editor Leonora Walters and Personal Finance Writer Kate Bealey. We're also delighted to have special guests James Baxter, a partner at Tideway Wealth, and Ben Yearsley, Head of Investment Research at Charles Stanley Direct. Today we're going to be talking about investing for income, including strategies to draw income from a pension for the long term and ideas to diversify your income sources. We're also going to talk about how to build a core and satellite portfolio and this week's fund tip. There's been a lot in the news about the cost of income drawdown, with Labour leader Ed Miliband saying he's going to cap the costs for investors. But in recent months, there's also been a lot of movement in, on the costs of drawdown from DIY investment providers, with Alliance Trust Savings, Hargreaves Lansdowne and Tilney Best Invest all reducing their drawdown fees. And you can read about that in this week's magazine. We expect more providers to follow suit in the coming weeks by moving on their drawdown charges. However, the main problem for investors taking income directly from their pension is how to maximise their income over a long period of time while not depleting their capital too much before they die. I'm hoping that James Baxter of Tidewide Wealth can shed some light on this. Now, James, what are the main pitfalls of investing for income in retirement? Well, I think you've got a, a number of um, issues to concern yourself with the, the main issues will be what rate you want to draw the money out at I guess there's two broad ways of doing it one is to look at the level of income that the portfolio throws off and if you're happy to restrain your withdrawals to within that level that means your capital's not too much at risk and you're you know you're not going to run out of money the problem comes when you want to draw a little bit more than that and then you've got to um, factor in consuming the capital over time. I guess in either scenario, you're really worried about what your target return is to sort of achieve the income that you need, mm-hmm. whether that's going to be for, you know, without consuming the capital or consuming the capital. Okay, uh, so what, what kind of targets should people be aiming for? I mean, we've heard a lot about a, a 4% um, income level can be sustainable for the long term. Do you think that's right? Yeah, I think I think that that probably is right. I think if you're looking at a a level of income which doesn't eat into the capital, you're probably in the late twos, threes, three and a half type range. Um, if you're if you're comfortable to consume the capital over a period of time, then you're you're probably in the four, even possibly five percent. Mm-hmm. And I think some people will use drawdown as a sort of um, you know, a, a term income up to the mid 80s, for example, and then worry about, you know, life after that, mm. maybe through the releasing some equity from a property or something like that. So if you're planning to make sure that the income lasts through to 85, say for a 60 year old, it's a 25 year exercise, then 5% is, is uh, as a withdrawal rate is probably pretty pers- sustainable. Oh, right. Okay. So that's that's probably more than some people would, would think, you know, I think 5%. Yes. So how do you go about constructing the drawdown strategy in terms of the underlying investments? Because that's the complicated bit that people it, struggle it, with. It is. And, yeah. and, you know, everybody jumps in for equity returns, obviously, because we know that, you know, the average equity returns are higher than the average bond returns. So if you look at you know the studies that go back over history, you can see that average equity returns have probably been five percent above inflation. Um, average bond returns, if it's gilts, are probably one and a half above inflation. If it's corporate bonds, it's probably three, four percent above inflation. But the problem with those returns is that they are very, very long-term averages, 
And if you try and uh, rely on those returns coming through over a much shorter period of time, then there's a great deal of uncertainty, particularly with equities, yes. that you might not get the returns that you're targeting. So and people, people starting in drawdown today might be thinking, you know, the markets are at highs. What if my portfolio falls in value over the next two years? It's a, it's a possibility, isn't it? A- absolutely. And our experience with clients is, that, you know, if you set off with a target return of T, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. two years down the track, if they're ahead of it, they're happy. <laughs> If they're uh, behind it, then they're unhappy and and their tolerance of being behind the target return is not that high, to be honest. I mean, it gets very uncomfortable quite quickly in a drawdown account if you're 15% underwater after two or three years. And then, you know, the picture really starts to look hard because you have to remember as well, you know, if you make a 20% loss, then you've got to make more than a 25% gain in order to get back to square one. So target returns can increase dramatically if you start having capital losses on the account. Yes. And really, from what you're saying, the whole experience of being in drawdown can affect your attitude towards risk quite substantially. I think that's right. I think people will, you know, we certainly encourage people to segregate money between, you know, long term income money that they've really got to rely on. We like to talk about irreplaceable capital. And for most people, by the time they get to retirement, the money is irreplaceable. They can't just go and start saving some more or, you know, uh, rely on winning the pool. So they really do have to make sure that that money lasts. And that, you know, that you have a quite a different, I think, attitude to risk with that chunk of money than maybe some spare money that you've got in an ISA or something else that you're, you know, you're not so reliant on. You can be more discretionary. Mm-hmm. So the essential building blocks of the investment strategy would, would still be equities, do you believe, when you're starting out in drawdown? Ben Yearsley, what's your view on this for investing think, for income? I think the one of the biggest mistakes people make is, is longevity and not realising how long they've actually got to then survive on their pot of money for. And um, obviously, if you're retiring at 60, you're going to live to 90, possibly, quite likely these days. And if you're you know, 55, you could have 40 years in retirement. So you still need your money to grow. You still need your pot of money to actually grow. Otherwise, and, and this is where I will sort of disagree on the bond thing to a degree, is that if you go into bonds at 60, 65, obviously lower risk, more consistent income, inflation is going to massively eat into your standard of living over the next 20 years. So most people still actually need equities a lot later, especially under these new rules, I think, if you're um, with flexible drawdown and all these new new things coming in in April, they'll need to be in equities for a lot longer because they still need their capital to grow. They still need their income Mm -hmm. to grow. And bonds, unfortunately, won't do that. Equities have that potential. So so what kind of level of equities would you suggest for a drawdown investor starting out in drawdown? I think the younger they are, Mm -hmm. the higher the percentage. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. And I think... um, you know, three and a half to four percent dividend yield from equities is sustainable. Most equ- well, the FTSE hundred yields about three point three, I think today, three point four. So equity income funds are going to yield about three point seven, three point eight, with the potential for capital growth and with the potential for income growth. That's a pretty decent number. Anything in my view above five, you're not going to get any capital growth. So obviously, the older you are, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah, that's but fine if, if you want to deplete your pots exactly. and, and not pass anything on. But if yeah, you're so. in your if you're in your high uh, late fifties or early sixties, in my view, I think you still need a much you know you still need a, a much heavier equity weighting because mm-hmm. you still need probably that growing income stream and growing capital. Okay, now 
at the opposite end of the spectrum investing are people who are starting out and trying to build up a portfolio of the long term for their retirement. And this week we feature a 24-year-old investor in our portfolio clinic and he has got off to a very good start with a well-thought-out core and satellite strategy. Ben Yearsley was one of our expert reviewers for this portfolio. Now, Ben, you're a fan of um, core and satellite investing. Can you explain what it is and, and, and why you like it? Yeah, so the core and satellite approach is effectively having, depends whether you like funds or investment trusts or shares, but having this sort of solid middle to your portfolio covering lots of different bases. So maybe UK FTSE 100 companies or US large cap or European or whatever. It doesn't really matter what it is because it's your own strategy and you can decide. But it's having this kind of solid core in the middle of your portfolio that you buy for the long term. You know, you do your research up front and go, right, that's my five to ten year middle. I like that. Thank you very much. And then you add the specialist stuff around the edge. You add the short-term holdings, all the special situations, all the special interest stuff that you like. And, and obviously the portfolio this week, um, for example, is water. There's a water fund in there. Yes. Now, water is not a core holding, really. It's a very specialist market. There's only, I don't know, 50 to 100 companies worldwide you can invest in that theme. So you can't call that core. But okay. it's this interesting specialist holding that you can add around the edge and, and theme funds or individual companies, you can do that as well. But if you've built your core in the first place, then you can add the specialist, more spicy stuff around the edge. We see a lot of younger investors who use who are using funds as their core um, holdings and then having satellites of direct shareholdings around mm-hmm. it. But the question here is, here is what make what type of fund makes the good core holding and there's a bit of a debate between the active funds and passive funds here going on what's your view of that yeah no i'm i'm i'll hold my hands up i'm an active fan i'm not a great passive fan i don't like investing in indexes or indices i don't think they are that suitable they're just a random collection of companies that are are ordered by size no logic there particularly However, at least you start investing. Mm -hmm. If it's that route, fine. At least you're investing, which I think is good. I find, and I think equity income is a a very good core holding for many investors' portfolios. It might sound odd if you're a growth investor, but you don't need to take the income. Equity income essentially is investing in profitable, mainly UK-based companies that have good cash flow and pay dividends. What's not to like about that at the core of your portfolio? Mm -hmm. So I think equity income can provide and does provide the core of many investors' portfolio, whether that you're investing for a junior ISA for a child or whether it's your first investment in your 20s or you know, going to the other end of the spectrum in your 50s and 60s and your, your pensions, etc. Now, James Baxter, do you agree with this equity <laughs> income um, focus that we're talking about here? Well, I just think that... Um you know, equities aren't the only thing that you can invest in. And and, uh, investors have got to be a little bit cautious about how much everything's correlated. So, you know, uh, Ben quite rightly points out water companies as a really sexy sector, potentially. But you've got a a very small number of companies, very little liquidity in those shares in those companies. So what, you know, what that tends to do is you get enormous swings up in price and enormous swings down in price. So, uh, you know, if we get any kind of sell-off or a pullback in uh, in sentiment, then water companies are probably going to, you know, come in for mm-hmm. some fairly nasty action. And if you're trying to have a core investment solution that counters that, then holding additional equity funds is probably not going to be the trick. You know, what you really want is somebody that's targeting a more 
a consistent return year on year. And of course, the way to do that is with fixed income. Uh, but a 24-year-old investor might not like the idea of that because they're well, out for a bit of excitement. You know, I, and, <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. But also, yeah. you know, what, what really works in, uh, and I'm sure Ben won't disagree with me on this, what really works for young people is the ability to compound money over a long period of time. And if you consistently compound your money at 5% or whatever the going rate is for, you know, a, a I'm not talking about investing in gilts, which, you know, for young people at the moment would, would offer a less than inflation return. But it is possible to lend money to, you know, the high street banks, uh, to lend money to very large insurance companies and earn, you know, um, five to six percent with a lot less risk than buying equities. And if you can earn five or six percent and compound your money at that rate over a 30 year period, you're going to end up with a very nice result. And you will get some protection against big market downswings. I mean, you want to protect your money in the downswings and be able to invest more in equities after the crash than before. So if you're looking for a core holding that's still going to have its value maintained post any kind of equity downturn, then really it shouldn't be more equities. Otherwise, you're just doubling up your risks. Excellent. I will take a very different view. I, I wouldn't touch bonds at 24. It's as simple as not that. A, not at all. Or at 34, right. no. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. This week's... Um, uh, uh, portfolio review was interesting because um, he was taking a, a contrarian approach and almost looking for special situations. And I think if you're an active investor, you can buy into those kind of areas and actually make some nice money out of them. Most investors, though, are regular savers. So they put in their 100, 200, 500, whatever it is every month into the market. And that helps take away the risk of equities because you're actually buying the dips and, and etc. If you take the view of, you know, fine, I'll be in bonds, and then I'll switch into equities when the market crashes. You won't ever actually do that, because you never, win the market, never know when the market bottoms. No. So you'll never actually switch in. And I used to have this debate all the time about that, you know, when's the market bottom? You don't know. So therefore, you won't ever go in at the market bottom. So you'll, you'll nibble in, market rises up, and then you'll miss it all again. Okay. So actually, the regular saving thing into equity, I mean, I, I'm... I'm a long-term equity fan, and I think people probably switch out too soon. I'm, I'm going to completely agree with Ben there, because regular, sa- regular savings into, into volatile markets is absolutely perfect. It's exactly what you want to do. So whilst most of your savings are ahead of you, by all means, buy equities and buy into volatile markets, and almost the more volatile, the better. But you know, as you accumulate capital and you feel more that you want to protect that capital, and, and I guess we go through three kind of milestone points in our life. One is when the return on our capital is probably more than the amount we can save each year. The second is when we really can't save very much more. And then the third is when we have to start turning it into income again. So just watch out for those milestone points. So at the point where your accumulated capital potentially, if it's earning a consistent return, can earn more than you can save into it, you know, maybe that's the time you start to need to be a bit more cautious. Excellent. Well, I think we had some very useful advice there for whatever your age and whatever your life stage. Thank you very much. Now, also on the subject of investing for income, personal finance writer Kate Bearley has been investigating this week some alternative sources of income. Now, Kate, what do we mean by alternative income and why is now a good time to be thinking about it? Well, in the past, bonds and UK equity income funds would have been the obvious choices as investments for income. They would have given you a kind of reasonable income and hopefully return and would have diversified your portfolio. But now there are a couple of things going on which mean that it might be worth looking 
elsewhere for other kind of investments as sources of income. So firstly, there just isn't as much income around, particularly in terms of bond yields. So we just had the sixth anniversary of record low interest rates in the UK, and that's forced down bond yields. I mean, we've seen both German and Swiss bond yields heading into negative territory in recent months. But also, UK and European equities and bond yields have become increasingly correlated for kind of at least a year. I mean, they used to do different things. So bond markets would have been up when equities would have been down and vice versa. So now you kind of need to look elsewhere for diversification. OK, so where, where, where have you been looking this week for alternative sources? OK, well, firstly, I mean, infrastructure is one. Mm-hmm. And that's quite popular because it's uncorrelated to stocks and bonds and offers inflation-linked returns. And that's because a lot of the underlying assets, or most of the underlying assets, are government-backed PFI projects. Mm-hmm. So they're already under construction and the income linked to inflation so the yields are they're quite good. They tend to be around 5%. Yeah, so these are, these are inf- um, infrastructure investment trusts who are mainly looking at, weren't they? So yeah. they, they invest in a range of underlying inv- uh, infrastructure projects yeah. and, gen- and generate good incomes for investors via that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So the yields are kind of around 5% and returns are also pretty solid. But it does mean that the premiums are quite high. Um, so they are quite expensive and that's because they're pretty popular. And I mean, linked to that is renewable infrastructure. So it's the same idea. Um, it's kind of portfolio of, of infrastructure projects, but these are green energy projects. And the idea is similar. They're government backed um, and they offer kind of sustainable income because they're, they're subsidised by government. There's slightly more risk involved with these, but I mean, they're much less volatile than equities. Mm-hmm. So still a solid idea. And the risk also means that they're trading at lower premiums, which makes them quite attractive. So there's funds like Greencoat UK Wind, which obviously invests in wind farms, and Bluefield Solar. And they are both planning dividend increases this year and are already offering reasonable yields of around 3%. Uh, yeah, and the infrastructure isn't the only asset class that you looked at, is it? It's, you, have, you have a couple of others there as well. Could you just briefly tell, talk us through those? Yeah, another is asset-backed securities. Mm. And this is quite an interesting one. It's it's a way of investing in debt and it, it got quite a bad name because um, these products are connected to the subprime mortgage bubble in the US. So they're securitized financial products and they're based on a portfolio of underlying loans. So either you know credit card debt or mortgages. And it was a high level of default on mortgages that led to the financial crisis. So people are quite wary of these. Yes. But in fact, the U- European ABS market is quite different to the US. And as long as the underlying debt is investment grade, then, you know, they're a good option. And one fund that's good in this area is 24 Asset Management Fund, 24 Income. So it's a portfolio of asset-backed securities, and it's got quite a high yield at around 5.7%. And they've got a really good reputation in this area. Uh They are one of the only... um, funds in that area. And going with a specialist in this area is probably a good idea, isn't it? Because it's such a niche asset class. Yeah, it is. And it's quite kind of complex to understand. So you really need to have faith in in the person that you're going with. Yes, the expertise of the manager. Um, I I believe commercial property was another area you looked at, um, which a lot of of people will be familiar with and will hold it. But um, what are the prospects there for income seekers? Well, there's yeah, property has is, is been quite popular for a while and, and it's popular because it's another uncorrelated asset. Um, there's a, a few kind of different ways of, of doing this. So there are open-ended options like Henderson UK Property, which has very good results over the long term. Or you can invest in REITs and one of those is a Tritax 
big box REIT. Mm -hmm. And that's quite interesting because it um, invests in large distribution centers. So those kind of big warehouses used by Amazon and, and other kind of online retail mm. giants. Um, that's where the big box come, it comes into exactly, it. Exactly. It? Yes. it is literally a big box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it has a prospective yield of 5.3% based on the upcoming dividend increase. So that's that's pretty appealing. Or you can also buy a fund of REITs. Um, one of those is BlackRock Global Property Securities Equity Tracker. And that's really cheap. It has a low ongoing charge of 0.23%. All right. So that, that would that would come under like a, a, a nice core holding, a low cost mm. um, tracker fund to get exposure to this, this area, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Yes. Great stuff. Now, Leonora Walters, our Deputy Personal Finance Editor, has written this week's fun tip. Leonora, can you tell us about what you've chosen? Yes, um, this week's fun tip is on PowerShare's FTSE VAFI US 1000 USITS exchange traded fund. Wow, that's quite a mouthful, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um, the reason, reason I picked it is there's some really good reasons to, to have allocation to the US. In brief, US economic growth continues to go from strength to strength. Company earnings are supportive. Mergers and acquisitions are coming back. And um, UK investors actually really underweight the US market. So it may well be that you need to top up your US holdings. There's a problem, though, because um, the US market's been successful. The shares are quite expensive and the valuations are high. So ideally, you want a fund that picks out the better ones. Now, normally, you'd look to a good active fund manager. But in the US, historically, active fund managers have consistently failed to beat the US indices. So people tend to use a passive fund like an exchange traded fund, ETF, in short. Um, now, normally they just track a, a regular index like the S&P 500, but uh, PowerShare's FTSE RAFI US 1000 USITS ETF um, is what they call a smart beta ETF. It tracks a, an index that um, picks out um, shares on, on according to specific measures. Um, this ETF selects shares um, according to um, firm size, book value, income, sales and dividends, which basically means it has a value tilt and it targets um, shares that are slightly less expensive. Um, so it's a good way to buy into the US market without paying high valuations. Um, and the other good thing about it is if there's a market pullback and things fall back, you won't be in the most expensive ones. So it'll fall back bit less hopefully maybe mitigate your downside so if you're looking at what to buy for your isa or sip portfolio at the moment and you're thinking oh i haven't got much us exposure i'd like to top that up to make it a more broader as allocation strategy this fund could would be the one to pick for for that kind of strategy it could be a yes. good option it could be yeah. a good option yeah. great stuff thank you very much well, thank you to my special guests, James Baxter and Ben Yearsley, and to my colleagues, Kate Bealey and Leonora Walters of the Investors Chronicle. Thank you all for listening. Good luck with your income investing decisions or your growth investing decisions if you've still got a long way to get to retirement. You can read more about investing for income and income drawdown charges in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. Goodbye. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.